0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Arash's World. Today, we have a special guest, uh, Dr. Karen Harry. Welcome to Arash's World.
1: Thank you. It's nice to be here.
0: Great. And so one of the first questions I ask uh, um, uh, anybody who appears on my program is how would they briefly describe themselves? So uh, in any way they see fit. So what would you say? Well,
1: let's see. I'm a mother and a grandmother and a great-grandmother and a therapist and a friend and a dog owner, um, just a happy person, pretty much.
0: That's wonderful. That's a whole range of, of roles and experiences and so on. So I I love it. Um, Today, we're going to talk about your book, uh, Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal. Right. So um, fascinating title, topic and book. And uh, yeah, so what do you mean here by psychology of the soul? What would, what would you say?
1: Well, when I started out to be a therapist, um, I had a master's in social work from Rutgers and a minor in alcohol studies because I came from an alcoholic family. And and then I taught at a local college about um, health and alcoholism. Um, um, and, but then I started uh, researching and getting to know a little bit about Carl Jung and William James. And they were both interested in mediumship. But none of that was ever taught in any university or college course that I took. (laughs) And so psychology just kind of whitewashes that away. And then when I started dealing with people in grief, um, I would suggest they go to a psychic or medium in order to make a connection with their deceased loved one, um, because that really helps their grief to know that they're not gone. Uh, They're just in a different place and they can send us thoughts and uh, you can talk to them in your dreams, et cetera, et cetera. So I started um, researching all of that and um, then went up to Lilydale, which is a medium community by Lake Erie. Um, And there's also one down in Florida uh, for the winter, but Lilydale's in the summer. And um, I went to a museum there and I had been studying about the vagus nerve, which is the 10th and longest nerve in Mm -hmm. your body. And um, you help yourself breathe through that um, on a longer outbreath for panic and anxiety and anxiety. Ah, uh, PTSD. So I got to use that with my clients to help them know they have this nerve, and you have to take care of this nerve, and you have to get it active in the morning, and that's when you're usually the most depressed. And take a walk, and they were starting to really do it because they had a nerve, they had a reason to do it, other than it's exercise and it's good for me, you know. Um, but then the more I got studying about William James and Carl Jung, um, and different people having spiritual experiences that came to me. Um, I decided to get a doctorate and find out more about um, how these spiritual experiences work and they make uh they make people's lives what do I want to say much more meaningful uh, because if they've had a spiritual experience or even see seeing their de- deceased relative in their bedroom at night or uh talk have their mom calls her voice or whatever they realize there is a higher power or a god and um that's something that they're Faith hadn't shown them. I mean, if your faith showed you that, that's wonderful. But a, a lot of people that come here, they say they believe, but they don't really believe. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and some of those spiritual experiences helped them, number one, to figure out that we do have a higher power in charge and that we have a soul. And Jung said that um, this uh, was our job to find out what our soul purpose was in life and to live that purpose. Um, and then we would be happier people. Well, number one, for most people, it's news that they have a sole purpose, right? And then how do they figure that out? Um, so we do a lot of work in therapy about that. Um, and uh, I, I, that's the whole story. You can ask me something else. I get lost in when I explain it to you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I want to also the foundation. Of psychology, it's psyche, and psyche is the soul. So, but but we got lost somewhere along the way. So it was more the focus of the body actually. And when you look at behaviorism or even cognitive behavioral therapy, and it's it's just trying to brand itself so much as a science that it forgot why we started psychology in the first place, which is the study of the soul. We have certain uh, uh, psychologists like uh, the ones you mentioned, but also Otto Rank, who 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 looked at the soul and said we need to bring the soul back into the discussion and there was a lot of resistance back then too um but i want to talk about uh william james said you mentioned a, a bit about uh, his background and lots of things people don't know about it the, the one of the uh founding fathers of psychology especially here in north america and then right. uh, jung that you mentioned as well as maslow so let's let's talk about each of these um very known individuals, but there are various aspects that we don't know about. And I, some of it I didn't know about myself and I'm interested in in them. So yeah, let's start with William James, yeah.
1: Okay, William James, the father of American psychology, he wrote the first two books on psychology, Mm -hmm. which took him 12 years. Um, And um, he he and his wife lost a toddler child, a little boy. And so Mrs. James uh, wanted to know where her son was and she would go to mediums um, in Boston. And then she asked him to come along, and that's how he met his um, Lenora Piper, who he called his White Crow, because she was a medium that could do anything. And she was, uh, her evidence was, you know, phenomenal. And she really gave a, an excellent reading. I mean, for the most part, a medium's reading is 85% accurate. That's the best you can get. <laughs> but Mrs. Piper was tested for years, I mean, 20, 25 years, and found to be just had the gift. And some people mm-hmm. are born with this gift, and then other people, they have a car accident, or they fall down the stairs, and they're in a coma. And then when they come out, they have a gift. Um, so most mediums inherit the gift. They've had it in their family. And and for many of them, they have a lot of trauma during their life, and um, they're told not to not to say those things, not to, um, how do you know that Mrs. Smith's going to die? I mean, that's a horrible thing to say. Um, sure. So mediums have had a rough life. Um, And I really have related to some of the ones that I've met because they come up in very traumatic homes and they they don't realize that, you know, this is something that they could use later on to really help people.
0: And you have have a certain like sensitivity to to perceive that, too. Do you agree that? Yes, yes. we're born with it, but it's also something maybe that we can we can grow and expand or we can stagnate Mm -hmm. and stifle because of our experiences and our reactions. Is that correct?
1: Yes, and I think if we realize that it's it's a clairvoyant ability, meaning it takes you to another uh, place that's higher than our third dimension. Um, and people that, like near-death people that go there, up there, say that they're in the now. There's no past, present, or future. You're just there. And it's so meaningful because you are in the now. Um, and yes, people can become more sensitive to it. Uh, I do believe, though, for many of the mediums that I have interviewed, Um, They have they they have inherited the gift of maybe didn't come until their midlife, but something happened. And many times when we lose a loved one, then we have some kind of experience that we can't explain. And that's how some of the mediumship has evolved.
0: Mm -hmm. And, And Jung's mother was a psychic. Oh so he, he, he might have inherited some of that because and uh, affecting his views and he also had a near death experience right
1: he did have a near death yeah. experience yes yeah, so he called it a vision because the okay. term hadn't been made then in the 1940s um, but yes his mother was a psychic she said he said that she was a good mother except every once in a while she would blurt out something had nothing to do with the conversation and then you didn't want to go to her room at night because there were lots of noises and voices in there and uh, so he didn't do that Um, and he had a grandfather who uh, was also clairvoyant and he and his second wife would talk to his first wife at lunch who was on the other side so young he was used to he had a father was a minister he was used to all these different levels of consciousness and he really wanted that's why he went into mental health because he really wanted to uh, understand them all and what was their story he said when he first um, came out of the university, that he was given a list of characteristics, and he was to look for those characteristics. But nobody ever told him to ask the patient, "What is your story?" <laughs> he said, "You have yeah. to have their story, and then that's when you can really help them." And and he was clairvoyant. I think he was ahead of his time. I think a lot of times people thought, you know, he just was confusing. Um, but I I happen I enjoy reading him. Um, I think that he's very clear, really, if you know that he's clairvoyant.
0: And, and master, the, the person would associate with uh, your self-actualization and just the optimal living, something that wasn't really the focus of psychology. It was like focused more on like mental health, mental illness specifically. And now he, he, he shifted it and just looked at how can we flourish? How can we live better, enjoy life, which is a very, very important uh, shift there. And he also had spiritual experiences.
1: Yeah. Um. Maslow, mostly for where, where I'm coming from, he he said that uh, just being was uh, being close to God. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you were being at your highest level, that was the whole point. So it was rather like, you know, if you found your sole purpose, you, you were going to be happier. But he took religious experience away from James and he called them peak experience for education. And then and he studied positive things that happened to people. So he was one of the first ones everybody else was studying what was wrong with them. So he he said what makes them happy and what made them happy was that they had spiritual experiences although he called them peak experience. Mm-hmm.
0: But he was uh, quite unhappy himself in uh, during his, his life and his childhood specifically, right?
1: And was he I I don't know that much about Maslow's childhood.
0: Mm-hmm. But I think it's kind of like transforming that and that is like when we have like when we suffer and we have these traumatic experiences it, uh, it kind of, we have the chance of uh, growing from all of it and of, of connecting with, uh, with something higher than ourselves in many ways. And it's just like, brings things into focus. And uh, I think a lot of people are uh, shunning the, the feelings of grief, the negative feelings, uh, anxiety and so on. And I think that the, through connecting through them, we have the chance of like expanding our, our mind, but also connecting to something very, very helpful, and very true in ourselves.
1: Yes, Um, it's been proven. uh, Kenneth Ring did a lot of studies. Um, He wanted to know why did this group of people have a near-death experience and this group didn't. Mm -hmm. So he did some studies uh, on, um, he did a home inventory, and he found that the people that had the near-death had more traumatic um, experiences in their home um, and, um, you know, being beaten and incested and all kinds of negative things happened to them. And then they were able to disassociate. Because, you know, that's the only way they could stand what was going on in their house. They could disassociate. So then if those people are in a car accident or on a um, heart operation table, they are more likely to disassociate there and have a spiritual experience
0: and and we, we put things into perspective because when when we have those experiences, we realize there's something more out there and uh, and 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 we see that then and, and in most of our regular existence we we often just get by and we're okay with it, but it's that the, those like opportunities I would call them that uh can help us connect with uh with uh, ourselves again on a on a, on a higher plane.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And so we're not born tabula rasa. We're not just a blank slate. So you're, you're saying we're, we're born with various other things. Let's uh, talk about that. Because it's not that we come into the world and it's just like we start uh, on, on a clean slate. Uh, it's, it's, there, there's more to it, right?
1: Yes, there is. So if you take uh, Jung's, pers- Jung's perspective of your unconscious, mm-hmm. which he believes has an intelligence of his own. So it's much more important, the unconscious, to Jung than it was to Freud. Um, so he says you have five layers of your unconscious and this, if you know, if you do the five layers in therapy or, you know, with a trusted friend or whatever, uh, you can get down to pretty much what you think you came here for. So the first level is your life and how, what happened to you, right? The second level is your parents' lives and how did they affect you? Um, the third level is DNA. So he was really big on, um, on checking about your ancestors and doing genealogy. And he encouraged all of his clients to do that Uh, because he believed that our ancestors left jobs that they didn't complete for us to complete. Um, And you find sometimes that a lot of people that have mediumship abilities, they had a grandmother, a great-grandmother, an aunt, somebody back there who had these abilities, but they always hid them or didn't really, you know, bring them out totally. And then the fourth layer is your culture, or your country. So how did that affect you? And then the fifth layer is your soul slash self. So he believed that <clears throat> when we went through all these other layers in in therapy of finding out who we were and going through um, all the trauma and everything that happened to us, then we would be able to have the soul slash self kind of come up our unconscious and become more um, aware to our ego.
0: And, and it seems that like there is a business that uh, we we need to to finish or wrap up, maybe also from previously, or I don't know if uh, past lives, if you believe in that. So that's something that we need to accomplish here, that maybe we didn't get done in the past, or we set the groundwork, and now we're going to continue with it to, to kind of on this path.
1: Yes, I do believe in past lives, and mm-hmm. so did Jung. Um, mm-hmm. And I, because he said it takes more than one life to create a soul. That mm-hmm. just makes so so much sense. Makes right. Sense. And you need to be different sex and you need to just have different experiences. So uh, some people have very vivid dreams about certain countries, um, positive and negative, And that can tell you about a past life. Um, mostly you can tell from a lot of the furniture you like or the, uh, you know, the artifacts that you collect. Um, that can give you an example for your, you know, I like this country or I would never have that country. And so maybe maybe you did have a life in that country, but it was horrible.
0: It's very interesting. The first time I, I went to Venice, I felt the place felt familiar. And which yeah. I, I've been to other places too, and it didn't have that sensation, but it's like, oh, this, uh, I've been here before, which I haven't. So, and, and it kind of like, kind of wakes you up to, to there's, there's more to it all. And uh, I, I find that very fascinating.
1: Oh, it's wonderful, isn't it, to get that sense?
0: Yeah. yeah. And what do you, also, what do you
1: they, mean, I've been here? Yeah, I have been here, right?
0: <laughs> and even senses of déjà vu, there's just probably something that's resonating with us that it's it's, it's interesting to kind of explore, too. If, you know, certain parts of our lives that we respond to and that affect us and that resonate with us. Again, it comes from a place, from a source.
1: Yes, it does, yeah. And all of that was in the collective unconscious around your unconscious. And and Jung believed in that. And Freud said that that couldn't be real.
0: One of the biggest things for myself is, is intuition that uh, often guides me. And, and in many cases, it goes against logic, even reason. But I've taken that path and it's been very rewarding. And one thing you mentioned in your book, that intuition is kind of connected to the vagus nerve. Uh, yes. um, can you explain that? I find that very fascinating. I didn't know that.
1: <laughs> All right. So the vagus nerve is your 10th and largest nerve in your body, comes in at the top of your head, goes down goes around your amygdala. Amygdala is fight, flight, or frozen. (laughs) Now people understand fight or flight. They don't necessarily understand frozen, which is if you were a child and you were incested or trauma happened to you before the age of five, you you can't run away or fight, (laughs) right? So you freeze. And all of that goes into your cells. (laughs) And then later on, uh, you may have, Um, you know, certain triggers that you say, well, I don't know why I'm afraid of that because, Uh, right. So all of uh, the, the amygdala is very important. Then the vagus nerve goes down your spinal column into your heart and into your stomach. Okay. So um, Darwin in the 1700s, called it the pneumogastric nerve. And he said that your stomach was triggered by some memory that would be in your cells. And it told your brain danger, danger, and your heart rate went up, so this is perfect for PTSD or panic or anxiety, because if your heart rate goes up, now you have to breathe, and so, like for instance, you can breathe into the count of four, and then you breathe out four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Longer out breath calms that vagus down, and um, so you can you can really tell a lot about uh, people's trauma. When they explain to you, you know when they do have their panic or their anxiety, and then we go back to the original cause of the problem.
0: Uh, so the, so you mentioned also holes and uh, that could be chakras, uh, the silver cold and cord and the uh, uh, holes that we have and the, the, the chakras. So uh, how, how does that fit into, into this discussion?
1: Well, chakras are invisible energy centers, and they're alongside your spine and they go up up the top of the vagus nerve, out of the top of your head. Um, now, a lot of what I'm explaining cannot be seen unless you're clairvoyant. Mm-hmm. So we need clairvoyant researchers in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we need lots of them to tell us what it looks like and what the vagus nerve silver cord, I think they're entwined like a rope. And um, your soul is held in your solar plexus um, and your physical body grows around that soul. So that you have an invisible, not invisible. Well, it kind can of, Yeah, it is invisible for right on physical earth. Um, you have the small body, the small you that's being uh, grown as your physical body grows. Mm-hmm. Now, the the point of your spiritual body, which houses the soul, that's that's the reason for the spiritual body because the soul is immortal. It, it was not born. It was created, and so it needs to go to the other side when we pass over. So how are we going to get it over there? Because the physical body stays here. So um, in the solar plexus, there is an automatic, um, what do I say, physical thing that your body does. Like the uh, near-death people have uh, uh, written this down. And they hear it click around their ears. And their whole body turns counterclockwise. And this um, spiritual body goes up that vagus nerve and out the top of your head which is your top chakra. You have seven chakras in your body mm-hmm. from the base of your spine to, the spine to the top of your head. And then you go up and you go back to where the soul came from.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and <laughs> it's interesting too, like the, um, we would talk about gut feeling, as, as you mentioned also about intuition, because that is actually a real sensation we have. And that's where the solar plexus would be a kind of housed there, too. And then anxiety, when we feel those butterflies, we have a physical sensation of something that is, uh, again, f- foundationally like spiritual, if you like. And so the invisible as well. So I, I find that fascinating how the both kind of are working together and we just don't realize it in any ways
1: it's a beautiful system. I mean, I've been a grandmother and a great grandmother and you see a baby be born, right? I've done that twice. It is the most beautiful thing in the world. But then when I think about how we leave the physical body, then nobody really knows that. It is also another beautiful thing that we get born (laughs) into the fourth dimension.
0: When people recount near-death experiences, uh, they are very, very similar. So it's fascinating. It doesn't matter from what culture you're coming where you're from, and so on. They talk about the same thing. So I, I find that kind of uh, people should should no- take note of that.
1: Oh, people should be interviewing all kinds of people that had near-death, yes. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. so many people, I'm so glad you're having this on your show, they're mm-hmm. so afraid to talk about death. And Freud was right. They're afraid of that, uh, you know about dying. But death is a wonderful thing, and it just starts another kind of a life for us. Where we don't speak, we have thoughts, and we send thoughts down to earth, um, to our loved ones. Mm -hmm.
0: So you also talk about positive and also negative spirits. What uh, good and bad spirits? uh, Is there something that we can do? What should we watch out for um, uh, in that respect?
1: Well, I think um, Jung always talked about negative spirits being um, immature people.
0: Makes so much sense. Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> they're just fooling around. Like There's a
0: going. lot of them around, That's especially right. nowadays.
1: <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah. So I don't really dwell on negative spirits uh, a lot. I, I have had clients who have had uh, what we would call possession mm-hmm. and um, they are doing something that is encouraging that spirit to come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if they won't work with me about what are you doing? Because many of them want to stay um innocent no I, i'm not doing anything well yes because they, there's a million people that spirit could be with and if you're not doing something they're not going to come to you
0: i think people are also afraid because of that and so they don't approach the the paranormal because they say what if you know something can go wrong or uh bad spirits could take over and i think we, we really need to to show the courage and be okay with it to delve into that it's 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 actually also miraculous and so when when we do that it, we realize it's it's actually not that scary it's our own fear that's often stopping us from 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 moving on
1: oh absolutely yes we are and what i always say is that spirits on the other side are your loved ones they're just people yeah. and they ended up over there and hopefully they're going to continue their work over there because you can you have a guardian angel and you have spiritual guides to help you um but usually when they go over there they just want to contact you and let you know where they are so lots of times you'll you know get them in your dreams um you'll smell their perfume or their col- aftershave lotion um cigars um the songs will come on the radio and it's their song from 1941 i mean why are they playing that song this morning you know um but it's uh, Honestly, God, they can pick up on, on electricity. They can make things be played. They can um, work on your computers and your iPhone, and they can change words because they like to play with electricity.
0: Oh, okay, oh. yeah, yeah. And we've seen it in, in in movies and horror movies too. But it's it's something yes. that's quite fascinating. And so um, when when my dad passed away, um, I uh, one of the last things I said is I believe in, in an afterlife, and I said, come and see me. And I said, "Come and visit." And he said, "I will." And he did. He showed up in my dream and basically said, "Here I am." So, what do you want to talk about? And 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 so so people might think, "Okay, this is just my own imagination or fantasy." I beg to disagree with that because it was really him, and so and I felt it too. It's not just a random dream. And and I think once once we realize that 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 fear of death would just kind of dissipate. You're like, "Well, just enjoy your life, and then enjoy whatever comes after."
1: Yes. And what you're talking about is you have a hard head experience with your dad. Mm -hmm. I mean, you feel him Mm -hmm. and you know, it's him and it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And that's really what the now is. And more people, if they would think about it, uh, I used to run spirituality groups. And the more we, everybody talked to different people about their different spiritual experiences, more people realized they had had them, Mm -hmm. but they, they negated them because we're so busy and then people, um, active imagination—you know, going into your imagination and imagining things—is something that that Jung suggests that you do. And what he did when he was having very bad dreams after Freud kicked him out, um, he was having all these—you know—he was having dead people come to him. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel, Salome from the Bible, his father came to him, and but he said that was the only thing that taught him he wasn't crazy because he he realized that. People that are deceased come through your unconscious. And that's where spiritual experiences are created also. And so he said, I can't be crazy because I'm talking to dead people. <laughs> anyway, And he loved it. <laughs> but he was clairvoyant. I am sure he was clairvoyant. Because there were things he tried to explain to other doctors that, you know, they just didn't get. Because he came from, you know, the experience of the now. And I think he saw a lot of different things. I know he went to a psychic in Alexandria once with a group of friends. And she said, I can't read you. You you have much more power than I have.
0: Oh, wow. I I, I find personally, I I find cards in the streets and I I do tarot cards, but now it's also quite interesting because I do find them in the streets. And so they're always like kind of a a message too, because I know the meaning of that specific card. So it's like, it's, I feel like some sort of guidance there. It's like, okay, now watch out for this. Now something bad will come your way. Now something good will happen. Or this is worth it. And when I met my wife, I found a specific card in in Mexico of all places that said, basically, this is is worth it. Go ahead. This is your luck card. And, and it was right. So it's, it's when we open up to all these, they're all around. When we open up to, to these like coincidences or these events and so on, they're giving us valuable information and messages and we should be receptive and open to them.
1: Yes. And Jung's word for that was synchronicity, mm-hmm. right? And he had a, a client who um wasn't doing too well in her therapy And she had this dream. She came in and she said, oh, I had this dream about this black bug, right? So um, he's taking notes and everything. It was June. It was hot. So he he got up and he went to open a window. So he opened the window and this black bug flew in and landed on the carpet. And she said, that's the bug of my dream. That's the bug I dreamed about last night. And he goes, okay, all right, well, let's look at it, right? Well, it would have been great if it was just a black bug. But it was a scarab and it was from Egypt and it was alive
0: oh my goodness
1: i know so um, of course he has the best spiritual experiences but he said from that that we really should watch our synchronicities in life now what was in her in her dream came into her life um the next day right now ours would be a little bit different maybe we lose our job and we go to the post office on wednesday at nine o'clock and we meet a guy we knew in second grade and he offers us a job so i mean we have those kind of you know just basic synchronicities too But he did believe that chance ruled. So I always tell people, show up. Half a life is showing up because you never know what's going to happen, right? And when you get a synchronicity like that, I mean, it can be just as easy as, you know, saying your best friend dies and and you see her initials on on a license plate the next day, right? And it's just, okay, how come I can see her initials today and I haven't seen her any other day? So pay attention. You're right about mm-hmm. all these and we call them coincidences but they're the deeper ones are synchronicities and they really are to show us that we're on the right track you know keep right keep going you know be that woman that you met that's right <laughs> yeah and so it's it's kind of interesting
0: because I met her at uh, a medical clinic and so I lab. And so the, we actually had two laps there. And there's one on the left side and one on the right. And I turned to the right and met her. And so it's, it's those kind of deci- decisions of like your gut feeling is kind of guiding you in one direction. Out of curiosity, I went to the other lap and it was a bald guy. And it's like, okay, I, I, I made the right choice. You know? So it's, <laughs> it's really like giving things, that, listening to your intuition listening to that feelings that's, that's guiding you, not dismissing it as just fancy or, or just just give it a try. And uh, I think that that's hugely important too. And so you talk about holotropic uh, breathwork. Um, what is, uh, is that? What does that entail in your book?
1: Uh, holotropic breathwork is uh, something that was um, created by Stan Groth, who is a famous psychiatrist. Um, he was um, giving people drugs years and years ago. And then they were having spiritual experiences and then that got to be a no, no, you can't give them drugs. So he invented this breath work where you lay down and they play music that activates the seven chakras in your body. So you start out with uh, drumming uh, because the base chakra is for fear. And, um, anyway, it plays music for every chakra. And then you breathe, you breathe in and you breathe out forcefully. And, um, so I did that, um, one, one year when I went to a conference, I had no idea what I was doing other than it was educational. And, um, I had a spiritual experience where the Holy spirit came through me. Um, and I, I was raised in an alcoholic family with a Protestant father and a Catholic mother. And then we were raised Protestant, which is unusual. Um, but my mother didn't drive. So she didn't have any say into where we went. And, um, So I always thought, well, you know, it's kind of messy down here. I don't know that God's paying much attention to us, but I lived in upstate New York. It was beautiful there. And I would walk in the woods a lot. And I knew that something created nature. And so I believed in that. And I believed like the wind had some power. So kind of like American Indian tradition was what I believed. So then when I went to this breath work and I laid down and I breathed and, um, I felt this other breath come into my body and out my mouth and um, I thought, whose breath is that? And then you were told not to think, just breathe. Right? So I thought, never mind, don't think, just keep breathing. So I breathed and the breath breathed. And so we both breathed, um different times. And, um, and then after that, the trainers came over cause I asked my partner if he would push on my feet and he didn't do it right, whatever that meant. And they came over, and one of them got behind me and said, hold on to my um, wrist and I want you to push. And I pushed and I pushed and I pushed. And um, and I had this thought, where is my mother? And I didn't know why I was thinking that. But don't think, just keep breathing. So I did. And then finally it was over. And what it was, was I had experienced my birth coming into earth. And that is like horrendous. It's got to be a lot easier to die than it is to be
0: born. But Doreen talked about that, the, the trauma. The, yeah. yeah. And, I, I, and so it's also fascinating because that's what we go back to when we are very scared. We hold our breath. And it's that moment of like, you know, when you come into the world, you hold your breath and you 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 breathe out. So it's, and we go into the fetal position as well. So right. it's, it's, it's quite fascinating, but it must be both traumatic as well as liberating to to experience that, to have uh, the opportunity to experience that yourself.
1: Well, it was wonderful. And when I stood up, we we're supposed to not talk to anyone, just go draw. And we had to draw in a mandala, which is a circle, just a circle. It's a Jungian thing. And I, I stood up and I looked at all these people. We had 21 people there and they had been really weird just a few days before. And I knew I was connected to them. I knew we were connected to everybody on earth and I knew there was a God. So that was wonderful, right? So, But I didn't know what happened. So then I went in and I drew. I drew a flower and grass and the sun. And I don't know. So I, that's what I drew. And um, and then they said, you go to lunch. And then after lunch, we all got in a circle. We explained our drawings. Well, number one, I thought I'd been there for 20 minutes. And I'd been there for four hours. Oh. So who's track of time and space, right? And um And so then I came back and um, the professor looked at my drawing and she said, oh, well, that's a rebirth. You had a rebirth. And I thought, oh, okay. Now, nobody mentioned a breath that came into them. So I didn't mention it because I didn't want to look weird because I felt weird. I mean, when you've been, uh, when you've left your body and you've been (laughs) on the other side and you come back, um, it's a very scary feeling about, am I really here? So um, I had to help drive people back to Newark airport on Saturday. So on Friday, I said, you better get yourself together. Whatever happened to you uh, here, you will figure out. And I did. It took me about a year, year and a half, though, to figure out that it was a spiritual experience
0: yeah and you get probably that resistance that we have of like accepting some of these things and you say no it can't be true or it didn't happen i imagined it and for me the the the, the most like uh, um, the wake up call i had too with experiences too apart i had my own experiences and there's a certain uh faith you you gain through that and confidence in it and belief in it but it's also if we look at society and for, for the longest time, people talk about aliens and alien abductions and they've seen UFOs. They were seen as uh, as, as crazy. They were, they were labeled as crazy. And now we have uh, major scientists who are talking about it. Now we have video footage that is like, well, we don't really know what this is. So it's it's that kind of shift for the longest time we disbelieve and suddenly we're moving in the direction of saying, you know what, you may be right after all. And I, I can't yes. wait, we we'll see it a little bit now, but I can't wait for, for like science to start embracing and say, you know what, yes, spirituality is something that does exist. And in psychology is moving in certain, at least parts of it is moving in that direction. And I applaud that.
1: Yes, I don't think our regular scientists will be the ones that will help us. I think we need clairvoyant scientists and we need to um, take down a research of what, each person, excuse me, <clears throat> feels and experiences.
0: But it's also like scientific methods. You, you, you want to like uh, test it and test your hypothesis and say it's true. If you say 85%, uh, they're correct. That's really high, right? So that by scientific high. standards. So why, I mean, I, I understand why in many ways, but why is science not not uh, going that path of like investigating, as you're saying, doing research on it? What, what, why they're so hesitant?
1: Well, science, uh, parapsychology, which started after mediumship, never studied mediumship. Mm. They were not interested in it. And that that was wrong. Mm. And so if, if you listen to a parapsychologist, I'd like to know, does he believe in mediumship or not? Or she, um, because that's important. And mediumship now is is going to be studied more and more because people are coming out of the woodwork, 40 to 50 percent of the population in the United States and England, say they've had some kind of spiritual experience. And I'm, I I want to see what happens. I want more people to talk about it, um, you know, with somebody who say, and then 50 to 60, once we cross that 50% line, I think more and more people are going to be um, telling them about these things. And then um, we're going to need clairvoyant researchers that help them understand. And it's not going to happen in a lab. You cannot go to sleep in a lab And expect your deceased father to come visit you. That's not going to happen. So we have to have somebody who has had their deceased father in their bedroom, a clairvoyant person listen to them, and somebody else who's trained um, and take down all of the characteristics. And then we compare all those characteristics to another deceased person. And that's the science that we need.
0: And and also with our brains, not just to to look at just like uh, things logically, and just not not just one part of our of our brain, but really like open up to creativity, imagination, and so on. And they and and, and major people like Einstein talks about imagination and various uh, people. So uh, we we have to take a look at that, and we're ignoring that in many ways, and uh, it's it's a shame because we could gain so much from it.
1: Yes, Jung was big on active imagination, and and it was wonderful the more you could imagine the happier he was and and because it's your imagination so whatever you're getting you can use somehow in therapy
0: wonderful so uh dr Karen herrick uh, you're um uh, the director of the center for children of alcoholics uh, social worker uh, reverend author and your book is psychology of the soul and the paranormal thank you so much for being on rash's world well. it was such a pleasure talking to you
1: Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you, too. I like your enthusiasm.
0: Thank you.